Aloha, happy new year, and welcome to Abe's ukulele podcast. I'm Abe. I have a pretty special show for you today. I recently got a chance to sit down with Jim Biloff, and we talked about ukuleles in bands, teaching them, ukulele books, and all sorts of things. So um, without further ado, here we go. So, uh, I wanted to talk to you about ukulele, obviously. <laughs> That's a uh, subject that, uh, that I've, I've discussed uh, many times before, so happy to do it. Yeah, so um, I've heard the story about how you found a ukulele, and then uh, you just fell in love with it at a market, but I wanted to go a little farther in that, and how did you become what many have called you? as you said, a popularizer of the ukulele. Mm-hmm. There's so many things that you do. You have so many books. Um, I just recently got the James Hill book. Uh-huh. It's amazing. Yeah, um, I love it. Uh, I need to get more. I've had a lot on my wish list. But, um, yeah, it's incredible just to see what you have been doing. I've recently started listening to your music on Spotify as well. Oh, good. And um, I actually didn't know until like a couple weeks ago that you were a recording artist as well. I just thought, oh, he's the guy who makes the books. But um, so my question is, how did you get to that point from falling in love to the with the ukulele to making it so popular and being it's like a big proponent of it? Yeah, I, I know. Um, well, uh, as I like to say um, when I'm talking about the early days, uh, I, I tell people, be careful what you find at a flea market. Um, because it can change your life. And that's really, as you say, that's what happened. We, we found a, I found a tenor, Martin tenor ukulele at the Rose Bowl flea market in um, Pasadena, California around 1991. And that was the trigger point. Um, but uh, my journey to the uke, like everyone else's, is um, complicated by who I was before that. And, and so it's, it's worth noting that I was a I was a decent guitarist, but I was also a passionate songwriter and, in fact, had majored in musical theater writing mm-hmm. in college. So I loved, I loved the, um, the process of writing uh, for theater and writing theater songs, and so I was pretty well-versed in that material. And, um, and so I came to the instrument actually first as a songwriter, and so the whole idea of popularizing it or publishing songbooks, all of that was, was, uh, was an afterthought. Really, the first thing that attracted me to the instrument was um, that it was four strings as opposed to six. And then once uh, in 1991, it wasn't easy to find old song. It wasn't easy to find any materials for the ukulele. Mm. It's important to know that if you went into a music store in 1991, 92, um, any general music store, uh, it was rare if you found uh, a ukulele divider, if you know what I mean, <laughs> looking in the stacks, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, obviously there was piano and guitar, but there wasn't ukulele. Or mm-hmm. if, it wa- if there was, it might be some old, old Mel Bay books mm-hmm. with Mel dressed up <laughs> with a coat and 
for the jacket and tie and the whole thing. So books mm-hmm. from the 50s. It really was off the pop pop culture grid, as, as I like to say. So, um, so anyway, we managed to uncover some old ukulele songbooks that had been published in the, I don't know, 40s and 50s. And one of the first things that struck me was that these songs, most of them were kind of great American songbook standards, had beautiful chords, jazz chords, not just C, F, and G7, but lots mm-hmm. of, you know, sevens and nines and, mm-hmm. and, and beautiful, nuanced jazz chords. And I was stunned to discover that this four-stringed instrument, you know, two fewer than my guitar, was able to recreate these beautiful chords in a very lush way. And, you know, having learned enough that, that the tuning was, was um, similar to the guitar, however, because of the reentrant relationship between the top string and the bottom string, there was a certain kind of compression in the, in the chords. And so mm-hmm. there was a lushness about these, four, these four-fingered chords that in some odd way seemed more rich to me than even uh, the chords on the guitar. Mm. And that was the first thing that attracted me right off, was that this four-stringed instrument could be so satisfying on a chordal level. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also important to know that, that the first instrument I find is this Martin tenor, and my instinct was to tune it DGBE, which oh, is the baritone yeah. tuning. However with the D up an octave. So it wasn't oh. a baritone. So baritone tuning typically is low D, mm-hmm. G, uh, D, G, B, E, yeah. but with a low D. In mm-hmm. this case, I did D, G, B, E, but with a high D. Mm-hmm. So I got all the benefits of the mm-hmm. um, reentrant, but in a tuning that I was familiar with because mm-hmm. of the guitar. Yeah. So I'm playing in this lower tuning and all of these chords, these pretty jazz chords that I was playing from these old songs and songbooks, were really lush. Mm-hmm. And, and so what happened was the thing that really flipped the switch for me was I started to write songs on this Martin tenor with these pretty chords. And I thought, oh my God, I feel like I found my instrument. It was mm. like Fred Astaire finding Ginger Rogers. I really yeah. felt more so than, and I was a pretty good guitarist, you know, but somehow or another, this really talked to me. And, and that was the germ that then led to mm-hmm. everything else. Mm. Yeah, I um, do you know Living Water Strings? Not so it's much. Ken Middleton. Oh yes, of course so I know he, Ken. He has um, I don't know if he still makes it. He I got a set from him that was it's that tuning. It's yeah. DGBE for my tenor. Yeah. And it was kind of the same thing. It was like, this is a different instrument. It's incredible. Well, um, and also for those who are familiar with Lyle Ritz. It's important to know that Lyle, who made these two incredible jazz ukulele albums for mm-hmm. Verve in the late 50s, he's playing a tenor Gibson, and it's tuned DGB with a high D. Oh, okay. So, um, so when I met Lyle, it was you know that was that was a a, a big point of mm-hmm. of connection for us right there. This appreciation for this particular tuning. Mm-hmm. So, but he had discovered it well before. <laughs> Anybody else? He mm-hmm. was working with DGBE with a baritone tuning high D in the late fifties, and decided that that was the best way to to sort of recreate these jazz tunes. Wow, that's awesome! Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I thought it was such a like a, a strange thing when I heard about it. Like, no, high it's been D? A... It's like oh, okay, uh, right. That's interesting. Right. Well, that's great to know. Um, I love hearing 
more about like how how people are making records. Um, I I just started working on this uh, playlist on Spotify, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to find all these uh, amazing songs that just show off what the ukulele can do. Um, and you're on there, of course, and uh, and then I put Lyle Ritz and a lot of other people, but it's incredible just to hear, and and then now know like a little bit more about what is going on. It's not, it's not always easy for me to tell just by hearing something. What is that? Right. <laughs> How do they do that? Yeah, exactly. Um, so you are kind of a teacher. You're kind of a, an artist. You kind of do everything with ukulele. Um, since it is the new year, I wanted to ask you what, um, like what, what is your best advice for people in terms of motivation and practice and like getting better? Because a lot of people will be making... Um, I mean, it's almost the end of January, but um, a lot of people will be making new resolutions, uh, probably have new instruments from Christmas. Um, what is your best advice for people that want to play, want to teach, want to just get better? Yeah, that's a, that, that's, that's a tricky question, partly because, and partly because I think of the uke for a lot of people, and I think a lot of people think of the instrument as something that should not be a source of stress. It's mm-hmm. one of the few, we have enough stress <laughs> in our lives. And so it's okay if you have something that you're not feeling guilty about, mm-hmm. that you're not feeling necessarily challenged. I mean, there's enough challenges in our mm-hmm. lives. So if the instrument is nothing but a source of pleasure and you can play a half dozen songs and you have a decent up down strum and you can play through a songbook or play a, a half dozen songs and entertain yourself or others um that is that is an accomplishment mm-hmm. and so the idea of sort of saying well you need to continue to push yourself and learn more and um that to some degree is to me is almost antithetical at least to to to, to a portion of 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 the ukulele player universe um it is enough to have mastered an up down strum and a few chords and and you know what you can have fun with it for the rest of your life that being said um there is something so so wonderfully portable and easy about the instrument that you you know at first i realized this is this is one of the few things you can play in bed (laughs) You know, right? I mean, you can literally in bed play your ukulele on a couch in, you know, in any chair, in almost any environment. You can take it with you, you can backpack with it. And so because of that, that's that's no small thing. It means that it's always there. And mm-hmm. so um, and so by virtue of the fact that it's always there, it's not a piano that you have to go to. It's not a room you have to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's not necessarily instru- an instrument that requires a lot of plugging in or 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 minutes of tuning or this or that generally speaking it's right there ready for you whenever you want um that's that in and of itself should prompt you to try things lyle i i keep referring to lyle ritz because um he he was my in a way he was my number one hero and responsible in some in some ways for for what we ended up doing with this instrument and taking it as far as we did, just by hearing, for those who are listening to this, who have not heard How About Uke, which was the album he made for Verve in 1957, um, it's, on, it's on iTunes, and do yourselves a favor and listen to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, was a, it was really a game changer, especially in Hawaii. 
um, where people heard it for the first time and it kind of changed the world over there. Uh, that's a separate story. But in any case, he has he had an expression. Lyle passed away last year in the spring um, in his 80s. But he had an expression that I really took to heart, and that was um, the fruit of the noodle. And he used it to, um, to explain how he approached arranging. Lyle mm -hmm. had, had, um, was particularly famous for certain arrangements of standards that he did. He was most famous for his arrangement of Lulu's Back in Town. And you can hear mm -hmm. that on How About You. And it's got a, it's got a lovely little intro figure um, to Lulu. And he often told the story about how he was just packing away at the uke like we all do, just almost mindlessly. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that there is something important about being somewhat mindless about the instrument, meaning not thinking about it and letting your fingers just sort of go where they will. And this has happened to me enough to know that it is really a true thing, that that inevitably you will stumble on something. Mm -hmm. And that is how his arrangement of Lulu's Back in Town occurred. Mm -hmm. He stumbled on a lick, on a chord, on something that was enticing mm -hmm. uh, musically, that satisfied him, and it suggested something. And so he followed mm -hmm. it. And, and before he knew it, this accidental sort of you know chord that he played led him to uh, create the opening lick to Lulu's Back in Town, and the rest of it kind of fell into place. And this has happened to me as well. I've played a chord, and then I played another one, and I thought, oh, those are the first two notes of, of Irving Berlin's White Christmas. Mm -hmm. And so I started, I think, in G, and then I played a, a C major sixth, and before I knew it, it was like, oh, that could be White Christmas. And before I knew it, you know, almost in real time, I figured out the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And that is fruit of the noodle. It's just letting it happen, and it fruit leads you somewhere. Noodle. I love that phrase. I'm going to use that. Fruit <laughs> of the noodle. Fruit of, in other words, the idea of noodling <laughs> around. Mm -hmm. so yeah. almost, somewhat mindlessly. Yeah, at first I was thinking, the noodle? What does that have to do right. with food? <laughs> it's um, not pasta in this yeah, case. There, uh, I've been caught up with this whole idea recently of like effective practice and mm -hmm. trying to teach my students, like, when you practice, make sure you're actually working on something. There's a really good TED Talk I love, and it's kind of like, it's great, but uh, at the same time, it's like, it's not everything. You do need to... Just enjoy the instrument. Just play around. Uh, I, I started actually on marimba. Do you know what marimba mm, oh, is? Oh, sure, of course. So that's a beautiful I, sound I love it, but just that idea of like being able to play your ukulele everywhere, uh, it's so great. Um, so speaking of why ukulele is great, obviously, and um, playing it wherever, um, I wanted to ask you about like what do you think is the best space for an ukulele to fill in terms of like a band, like sonically, because it's, you know, the notes are the same as a guitar, almost. It's like the guitar can play those notes too. So it's kind of like, why do you need an ukulele over something else? Like, what can it do that um, other things just can't do? And it could also be not just in a traditional band, it could be uh, in other groups. Yeah. Um... I may not be the best person to answer this because I haven't had a lot of experience playing it in a band situation. I, what I can say is that that the ukulele, um, well, and I also play both tunings all the time. So 
I'm, I'm often in, of course, standard, uh, my dog has fleas, GCEA tuning. For when my wife, and I, my wife Liz and I perform, we are often playing songs in traditional GCEA tuning, re-entrant. And then I've also written a number of songs, and we perform songs in the lower DGBE mm -hmm. with a high D tuning. And, and even lately, actually, I've fallen in love with traditional baritone tuning because mm -hmm. um, we've done a, a few baritone books, especially mm -hmm. a, uh, both of the daily ukulele songbooks now come with baritone editions. Mm -hmm. And I've fallen for baritone, and I've been writing for that as well. Uh, that being said, by and large, my experience with uke uh, in a band setting is that there is nothing sweeter than a ukulele and an acoustic bass. Mm. So talk about two instruments that really don't get in each other's way. And, and I have to say that I prefer the sound of an acoustic bass with an acoustic uke more so than, you know, than a short scale bass or, mm -hmm. uh, or, or, or an electric bass. It is mm. really those two acoustic instruments are just about as sweet and authentic and acoustic-y sounding and lovely um, as, as you could want. And I've done, um, the last CD that I did was Dreams I Left in Pockets, and I had a superb jazz acoustic bass player, and I also had a superb uh, jazz pianist. Mm. And um, in a number of the tunes we did with uke, piano, and, and acoustic bass, and they were fine, and, and everyone kind of got out of each other's way. When I did some tunes with a guitar, um, either I didn't play uke for that record or I was just pretty much playing chords mm -hmm. and then the guitarist was doing sort of filigree around me, mm -hmm. sort of picking or individual string soloing. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not much of a soloist myself, so I'm more a chord guy. Mm -hmm. more, I'm more the rhythm guitarist mm -hmm. in the, in the, the, than I am the lead guitarist. Um, so... Uh, so I guess that's the best I can suggest is that, yeah, you can, you can really get into, you know, the, you can get kind of disappear if you've got a rhythm guitar, especially if they're electrified, it's mm -hmm. th then the ukulele just becomes part of the bed. Mm. And yeah, I think, you know, depending on the mixing and all that, I suppose you can hear it, but it, it, it just becomes another part of the, te the sonic texture. Mm. Um, I will say that the, um, maybe this is appropriate at this point, uh, you know, oftentimes, and may, maybe not so much lately, but, but when Israel Kamaka Vivioli released his version of Over the Rainbow, the mm -hmm. famous arrangement that he mm -hmm. recorded that changed the world, it was used everywhere um, with his gorgeous, you know, tenor voice, um, his arrangement um, is very basic. It's just mm -hmm. simple chords. Um, however, people had the hardest time figuring out how to get it to sound like Israel. Mm -hmm. And what they didn't realize was that Israel on that recording was playing with a low G. Oh. And so unless you, unless you change your, your strings and have a low G as opposed to the re-entrant high mm -hmm. G, it will never sound like Israel's version. And it's just Israel with a uke. And, um, and that shows you how powerful just one string being an octave mm -hmm. away can be. Um, another one of, uh, of our friends and, and heroes is Herb Oda, mm -hmm. Otasan, who's, um, who's released, gosh, at this point, about 70 albums, mm -hmm. one of the great, great Hawaiian ukulele players. And um, early on in Herb's career, he discovered that in order for him to do his particular kind of playing style, which was a combination of hitting the chord and then playing the melody. He did dozens of albums where it's just pretty much standards, beautiful mm -hmm. standards. 
in order for him to have the kind of um, scale that he needed to play a lot of, you know, beautiful Bacharach tunes, these more, these more ambitious melodies, um, he needed, he needed more, more room. And so he, he opted for the low G, mm-hmm. which gives you an additional, what, five or six notes. And, um, and as a result, to me, and this is absolutely not a knock at all, but it, but that tuning strikes me as being more of a high-pitched guitar. Mm. And it, and you don't really have that quote-unquote sound of the ukulele unless it's re-entrant. And, and I've often you know thought about the fact that it, it is the cliche that people say it's a happy-sounding instrument. Part of why I think people believe that it's a happy-sounding instrument is the re-entrant tuning because you have mm-hmm. a high string on top and a high string on the bottom. So these two high strings, mm-hmm. the way we hear that physically, the, the way our ear works, to have high high and high on either end mm-hmm. makes it sound kind of cheery. Mm-hmm. And and when you compare that, you can do this test at home if you have two youths, do a low G and it sounds more like a high pitched guitar to me mm-hmm. anyway. It doesn't sound it doesn't have that classic sort of happy ukulele mm-hmm. sound. I don't know how this necessarily plays into your question, (laughs) except to say that these are things that are worth experimenting with in a band setting, or if you're playing with other musicians, try it with a low G versus a high G. It may sort of change that sonic um, quality within the group. Yeah, no, I I noticed that for sure. If I play um, with other people, I prefer high G, because I I don't know what it is. Either part of it is it, it stays more out of the way, like you said, um, and then especially if there's a guitarist and a piano player, then it's kind of like, I want the notes to kind of just avoid each other. Um, so the guitarist, you know, play something else. Don't just play <laughs> straight chords, or if you are, play them lower, something like that. And if I play by myself, I tend to prefer low G. Yep. Even though not all the songs, you know, I'm still stuck with like, I want to play this song and this song, but this one needs this string, and this one needs this string. You know, it's um, like, especially if I have something that I want to play, um, like if it's a if it's a C with a B flat shape. Mm-hmm. So I'm playing C on the top string, right? And I have to play the top chords. It's kind of like I can't do that with a high G because then it just sounds kind of like I'm going backwards, right? Um, right, exactly. But yeah, I know what you mean about the. <laughs> it's it's not a knock, but it's kind of like a baritone ukulele is kind of just like part of a guitar it is a, it, it is exactly a guitar it's the <laughs> top four strings of a guitar there's the, yeah it, it is exactly a guitar mm-hmm. um without the two low strings so but there is something um i it was it was interesting about three or four years ago it seems uh, a few of us were at a uke fest james hill and victoria vox and i and all of a sudden without i don't think this was coordinated in any way but we all showed up with baritone ukes that year. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and I think it, it becomes, you know, sort of a, you know, one of these uncola moments. It's just mm-hmm. it's just a desire to see if you can break out of the, you know, the reentrant GCEA world. Yeah. It's looking for something else. Like creativity. Yeah, you just want to branch out and you know, you're still mm-hmm. in the four-string world, but mm-hmm. you know, what else can I do here? And and a baritone gives you and also depending on where your voice is, mm-hmm. um, there's also something I, I'm not sure whether this is is a is a fair comment or not, but but at least personally, it seems as if more serious material, you know, the, to me anyway, 
um, I feel more comfortable doing more serious material in the lower lower tuning. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that I haven't done more serious material in the GCEA world, but mm -hmm. somehow or another, I think it probably harkens back to my comfort level and experience on the guitar, mm -hmm. where I was more, you know, I was I was writing a lot of, you know, a lot of more heartfelt, serious songs. And once I got back to the baritone, it revived that. Mm -hmm. So I felt like I could get away with more serious songs on a baritone tuning than on the higher pitch. Mm -hmm. So um, what about D6 tuning? Do you ever play with that? No, never. Okay. No, I realized that the Canadians have a long history with it. Um, and the, also, the, the only other thing about D6 that's interesting is that Roy Smack was a big believer in D6 tuning. Mm -hmm. Now, Roy Smack was a bridged that period where uh, of a time where it was almost pre-amplification. Uh, and he was known as the Wizard of the Strings. And Roy mm -hmm. today, again, another artist that everyone should seek out, he was doing all of these amazing things mm -hmm. on the ukulele, playing it behind his head, um, harmonics. Uh, his I mean, there are some people who are active today in the uke world, um, like uh, Joel Eckhouse, and Marcy Markser, who actually took lessons from Roy, oh, and they employ some of his tricks. Mm -hmm. And Joel even plays some of Roy's um, uh, tunes that he wrote. Um, and uh, they're really, it's really challenging, beautiful stuff. But my theory about why, why Roy played um, in, in D6 was simply because it was mm -hmm. easier to hear. Mm. Um, especially if you were in a place where the amplification wasn't wasn't there or wasn't so great, yeah. it just cuts through. Mm. Um, but no, in general, I feel like it's too high. <laughs> yeah, I noticed um, one of my instruments. Um, I tried it in D six. I noticed it just sounded better. I couldn't really place exactly what it was. Um, part of it, I, I'm pretty sure, was it had a low G. And all of a sudden, it was a low A. Mm -hmm. um, and I read somewhere about the the size of a tenor body is actually not ideal for a low G sound. Mm -hmm. um, it's similar with a guitar where the low E is like just around that area where it's, if you go too low, it might sound too muddy, something like that. Um, but speaking about baritones and uh, like creativity and like you were saying, breaking out of this maybe entrapment of four strings, um, I recently got a, uh, a Pono octave mandolin. Have you been able to play any of those? No. It's, it's eight strings... Um, and it's made by Pono, so that's kind of why I, I fell into it. And by default, well, there's two tunings they sell it with. It's the octave mandolin tuning, which is G, D, A, E, so it's mm -hmm. fifths. But you can also do D, G, B, E. I haven't tried it yet, but um, it's kind of incredible to just take basically the baritone tuning and then just say, okay, now there's steel strings and there's eight of them, and that's kind of like... Is that an ukulele still? <laughs> um, where where do we come where it's like, okay, this has eight strings. There's still eight string ukuleles, and it is kind of like a baritone. Um, I believe it's 21-inch scale or something like mm -hmm. that. I think baritone is 19 or 20. I'm not sure. But it's it's very similar. I was asking somebody, is it is it technically an ukulele? They say it's a tenor guitar, but um, they also say it's an octave mandolin. So it's mm. like, where is this line of like i guess what i'm getting at is in terms of like the future of the ukulele where is it going um how do you see it like evolving in terms of um where it'll be played what it'll look like what it'll sound like 
Uh, is there anything you're particularly excited for? Well, like, I am. I mean, I, I mean, I uh, in 1999, I was talking to my old music teacher from high school and telling him so this is this was 18 years ago, but we were still very fully involved at that point in in the youth world um, in 1999. And I was telling him about the books we were publishing and this and that and songwriting and um, and my music teacher uh, from high school. Uh, is also the conductor of the Wallingford, Connecticut Symphony Orchestra. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I said to him, as far as I know, no one's ever written a piece for ukulele and orchestra. And so he commissioned me on the spot. <laughs> and so that later that year, um, I debuted a piece called Uke Can't Be Serious. Mm-hmm. Um, I called it a concerto. And it's about an 11-minute piece. And people can hear it. They type in uh, my name or ukulele concerto or uke, U-K-E, Can't Be Serious. Um, into YouTube, you'll find it, or you can find it on our website at fleamarketmusic.com. And um, um, I wrote this 10-minute ukulele part and had a real sense of what I wanted it to do orchestrally and then found this marvelous orchestrator out in California, Mm. Jason Nyberg. And uh, Jason did this magnificent job, and, and it came together surprisingly quickly. And I did it, and, and you know, you know, I couple of years ago I did it with the Michigan Philharmonic I've had the pleasure of doing this piece maybe maybe uh, almost uh, you know 15 20 times it's a really fun piece and um, and I love the fact that it was as far as I knew the very first piece that uh, you know specifically written for ukulele and symphony orchestra mm-hmm. and then last year in October I debuted a, a new piece called um, the Dovetail a uh, second piece that was commissioned also by the Wallingford Symphony. So, you know, I remember hearing stories about the fact that the guitar, for years and years and years, just well, no one would have anything to do with it when it came to a, an orchestral setting. And then it took, um, I, I should know this, but I'm not exactly sure whether it was Pablo Casals or someone else. Um, no, Pablo was cello. Uh, was um, Segovia, whether yes. Segovia was mm-hmm. responsible for this or not. But somebody at some point, probably in the last you know, 100 years, was responsible for, for forcing the issue, having something written specifically for solo guitar and, and symphony. And there was no looking back after that. And now the mm-hmm. idea of a, of a guitar and a symphony orchestra is just not considered all that surprising. And so I, I suspect, I, I would not be surprised if 100 years from now we're, we'll, we'll all be gone, but I, I'd like to think that the idea of somebody playing a ukulele uh, with an orchestra will not be mm-hmm. will not be surprising in the least. Mm-hmm. Um, it shouldn't be. I mean, it, you know, if you think about it objectively, um, if, you, if you sort of remove the palm trees and, and hula dancing, I mean, the ukulele is just a high-pitched stringed instrument, fretted stringed instrument. Mm-hmm. So... Um, so why wouldn't it be appropriate to have it in every environment in which any other fretted instrument was? And, and you know, think about a mandolin. A mandolin is just simply a fretted version of a mm-hmm. violin in terms of tuning. So, so really, and, and, you know, again, objectively speaking, um, if you take away sort of the cultural, the, the cultural white noise from all of this stuff, it's these are just basically fretted instruments, mm-hmm. and they should be able to. In any environment that any fretted instrument mm-hmm. performs in, so mm-hmm. I'd like to think that the ukulele continues to grow. It certainly has proven itself in terms of virtually every genre of music. I mean, early on there was a guy that was doing rap with the ukulele. I've mm-hmm. heard it all. I mean, certainly country music, and certainly there, there are 
tons of great people who are using it to write pop mm. music and really current sounding pop music. Mm. Um, there's no question that it belongs in bluegrass and folk music. Mm -hmm. We've published four books of classical music for mm -hmm. the ukulele. John King did one, and then this wonderful British guitarist, ukulele player named Tony Meisen, did a book of, of Bach music, basically. You know, it's called uh, uh, our, our, cla our classical ukulele book. And then we did, um, the first book he did for us was from lute to uke, mm. so it was lute music from the 1500s arranged mm -hmm. for the ukulele. We've done a blues book with Fred Sokolow. We did a bluegrass book with Fred mm -hmm. Sokolow. We've done them all. So there's, mm -hmm. you know, gospel. Um, oh, I, didn't I, know I, that. I think we did a gospel book. So I, I almost can't think of a genre that we we haven't published a book for, and um, so I'd like to think that it just it just continues on to find itself in pretty much every mm -hmm. corner that it, any musical mm -hmm. instrument is comfortable in. Yeah, that would be awesome. <laughs> I suspect um, the only issue would be the, the volume, because um, I've, I've talked with a few people about it, and it's just because it's so quiet, but, you know. They're, they they, they all have, can be amplified. Exactly. So it's not it's not that big of a problem, really. No, and then people are looping it. I mean, if you if mm -hmm. you've seen some of them, you know, there there are some wonderful artists. Um, Brittany Paiva comes to mind. She's a Hawaiian, a really mm -hmm. fine Hawaiian player, and she was one of the first people that I ever saw that was really using looping in a in a really sophisticated way. Mm -hmm. um, and then um, and then I mentioned Lyle Ritz. Obviously, jazz is, and there are plenty of really good players. Mm -hmm. um, Sarah Mizell comes to mind, who really is so comfortable playing all these pretty jazz chords and has a beautiful voice, and she performs with her husband, Craig, and they do a wide variety of material, pop mm -hmm. and jazz and Hawaiian, and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and then Little Rev is doing, you know, it seems as if he's got pretty much the kind of folk, bluegrass, um, uh, Woody Guthrie kind of, mm -hmm. uh, Pete Seeger, that world just complete blues, completely yeah. covered. Um, and there are just dozens and dozens and dozens of really fine performers out in the uke world who are, who are, you know, who are covering a lot of these different genres and doing mm -hmm. it really admirably. James Hill, of course, can kind of do anything, and, and he's played in all of these arenas. He's played in classical mm -hmm. and in jazz and certainly in, um, in kind of folk pop mm -hmm. um, with the things he's done with um, his wife Anne. And, um, and Jake, uh, you know, clearly uh, is, um, has, has also done it all. On his recordings, has done classical mm -hmm. and pop. And then has been brilliant at being able to take the reentrant tuning and somehow manages to squeeze these extraordinary, yeah. you know, songs by Queen and every, mm. we've all heard this <laughs> stuff and squeeze it somehow into an octave and a half and pull it off. Yeah. So I don't know. I think that the future remains incredibly bright for this instrument. Mm. It's really wherever you can take it. I mean, there mm. are no rules as far as I can tell. I agree with that. I couldn't have said it better myself. Um, so last thing, real quick, what do you use to write your music and arrange? Oh, you mean a tool that yeah. I, um, hmm. 
Well, you know, for writing for me personally, it's, uh, I guess, like, you know, I'm going back to Fruit of the Noodle. My writing, my, you know, the way that I write is, is often uh, kind of Fruit of the Noodle stuff. But I will say that I have an app, and let me just pull out my phone to remind myself what it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, over the years, I've played with a few different, a lot of different methodologies to capture ideas. And my favorite is... Uh, is something that's an app on on my iPhone and it's free and Apple came up with it a couple of years ago called Music Memos. And um, it is without a doubt the simplest way to capture an idea. Mm. And it even allows you to, um, it tells you if you play, if you record a piece of music, chords and what have you, it will not only tell you the chords you played, so it's, it's able to tell you what you're playing, but it can add a bass and drums mm. when you play it back, which is pretty clever. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so anyway, that's that's my very simple app for capturing a song idea so I don't forget it. That's great. That's a really good tip. <laughs> well, so in case you don't know, um, Jim Beloff can be found at fleamarketmusic.com. Yeah. Um, there are so many things that he's done for the ukulele in terms of books and music. And um, if you don't know, you need to check him out. Seriously. Thank you, Jim, for uh, doing this. Oh, it was my pleasure, Abe. Thanks for coming. so there you go thank you so much for listening i hope you enjoyed that this episode is actually sponsored by my own (laughs) spotify playlist that i mentioned in the interview it is um it's an ukulele playlist it's a little project i'm working on basically to just show off what the ukulele is capable of um it right now has about 50 songs it'll probably get a little bit bigger and i will refresh it as time goes on I basically just want it to be a place where um, people can discover new songs that are just, you know, kind of unlocking new creativity. So uh, check that out. It'll be in the show notes, as well as all the other links for relevant things that we talked about in the interview. And um, I'd love to hear from you. What are you doing today while you're listening to this podcast? Um, What did you like about it? What would you what do you wish I would talk about? Um, do you think I talk too much? Um, let me know. I'd love to hear from you. And, um, one of the best ways you can actually help me out is to give me a review on iTunes. You can just click the little stars. You don't actually have to write anything. Of course, if you write something, that would be great too. I got a message from Dennis on my website and then I wrote a nice long reply. Well, it wasn't that long, but And uh, it seems like it didn't go through. But anyway, I just want to say thank you, Dennis, for your comment on my episode three. And um, yeah, I I agree completely. I I just really want to help beginners and intermediate players and also teachers, just people like me, (laughs) to, um, you know, get better. And uh, like you said, pass obstacles. Um, 
And then you mentioned about your experience with Enya's. I only really mentioned it because I had heard good things about it. Uh, sadly, I haven't actually played them myself. And then I was thinking um, specifically about Enya's. They seem to come with uh, a lot of nice little extras um, by default. I don't know if that's standard, but like a tuner and um, a bag and other things. So for a beginner, I felt, oh, that's pretty awesome. That's just another another thing. And then I actually didn't know that Baz mostly reviews uh, lower price range ukuleles. I haven't been through everything, but... Um, yeah, it's just a it's just a great resource to find ukuleles. Uh, there's a lot of brands that I learned about from him, and um, you know, for a long time I thought it was only just a few things. And uh, yes, uh, thank you so much for listening and uh, writing in. I am going to constantly uh, push myself to get better, and um, yeah, I I can't really do it without you guys telling me what you want, what I'm doing wrong, what I'm doing right. <laughs> so um. Again, thanks so much for listening, and uh, I'll talk to you next month. Aloha. Ukulele.